0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 125 of Just the Zoo of Us. On this week's episode, I got to hang out with marine biologist Rosie Steinberg to talk about beautiful animals that you might not have even known were animals, carnation corals. We talked about the living ship of Theseus, what a coral smells like, intense turf wars being fought in super slow motion, and a lot more. So get ready to learn everything you've ever wanted to know about life as a hive mind of squishy clones. Just the Zoo of Us presents Carnation Corals with Rosie Steinberg. everybody, this is Ellen Weatherford and I'm here again with Just the Zoo of Us. This is your favorite animal review podcast. This week, I'm really excited for the friend I'm bringing to you today. This is marine biologist Rosie Steinberg. Say hi, Rosie. Hello. I'm so excited to talk to you because we are talking about a very cool animal that I think a lot of times people either don't realize or don't remember is an animal in the first place. This is our first time on the show talking about corals, which I realize is a significant overstep. We definitely should not have waited this long to talk about corals. But here we are. We're making up for lost time. And specifically, we're talking about carnation corals. But before we get into corals, let's talk about Rosie a little bit. Rosie, can you tell our friends listening? what your journey into marine biology has looked like.
1: Yeah, so I'm just finishing up my PhD at the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia. Um, But if you can tell by my accent, I'm not Australian. I actually grew up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, really far away from the
0: ocean. I was gonna say that is not a that's not exactly growing up on the beach, is it? (laughs) It
1: is not. But my dad is an avid fish tank keeper. So he has over a 1000 gallons of salt water and corals in his basement.
0: Oh, he brought the whole ocean to him,
1: huh? (laughs) It's literally it's the same size as the Albuquerque aquarium. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, he got me interested in corals and interested in marine animals in the first place. And like every vacation, we always went to Mexico, we went to the Sea of Cortez, did tons of snorkeling, tons of scuba diving. And I always thought when I was a kid, I wanted to be a veterinarian because I also love dogs and cats, but it turns out I like the ocean more. So I've switched over. (laughs)
0: I think that a lot of times for kids, veterinarian seems to be the most clear cut. Like, I like animals. This is the career path for me.
1: It's In undergrad, I switched over because I was taking all the courses you needed to do pre-veterinary stuff, but I kind of found them boring. And then I was also taking like one for fun biology class. And I was like, if I'm taking this other class for fun, maybe that's the thing I actually want to do.
0: There you go. There's where <laughs> your passion is. Did your dad's love for saltwater tank keeping pass on to you? Do you keep your own saltwater tanks these days?
1: So I don't have saltwater right now. But I do have a massive freshwater tank that's about 90% plants at the moment. Needs a little a little trim back. But yeah, he got me really into fish tank keeping. I find it very zen. It's very relaxing, and the fish love you. You go up to the glass, and they're all rushing up to ask for food. It's eh, it's nice to be the center of attention of a bunch of fish.
0: I have always been like so intimidated by saltwater tanks because of the amount of energy investment it is. Like at the startup, you know, like just getting the whole tank set up, getting the water exactly right, getting the salt right, and like the substrate right. Like everything seems so intimidating to me. But if you grew up with it, it probably doesn't seem like that big a deal. <laughs> yeah, it's it's
1: definitely a lot more set up. It takes a lot longer to get it going because you have to wait for all the bacteria to grow. And it, it just takes so much longer to do that in a saltwater tank. But the nice thing is once they're set up, they're pretty self-sustaining, which is convenient. I feel like I change the water in my freshwater tank more than I would in a saltwater tank, but... I also grew up in the desert where we had to make our own salt water, and that got really expensive if you did too many water changes. So,
0: oh man, I bet because you can't exactly just uh, head to the shore and get some. I need
1: to start one now that I'm next to the beach, so I can just take salt water from the from the ocean. It'll be great.
0: Yeah, you just step right out into your backyard and grab some. <laughs> Do you keep corals in a saltwater tank, or is that too small of an environment for them? Oh no, corals are actually
1: great to keep in saltwater tanks. They come in different difficulty levels. Most corals have a symbiotic relationship with algae. Not most corals in general, but most corals that you would keep in an aquarium have a symbiotic relationship with algae. And in that relationship, the algae convert light into sugars that they actually give most of the sugars to the coral up to 95% of all the sugar they make goes to feed the coral. Wow. And the coral gives back to the algae by helping provide them with nutrients they need, like nitrogens and other fertilizers.
0: Mm, So they're feeding each other. Yeah,
1: so they're feeding each other. So all you have to do to grow them is have appropriate lighting, which can get expensive, but you can get really fancy ones that like change on timers and all this cool stuff. Oh, that's really cool. They can also eat. And there are some corals that don't have that algae and they have to only eat. And that gets to be a problem because they need usually very fine particulate. And you can imagine that just gets stuck into the filter and it makes a huge mess and it rots in the tank.
0: Particulate meaning like little
1: bits of stuff? Yeah, like little, like, so carnation corals, which I want to talk about today, are actually, they're one of these non-photosynthetic corals, so they don't have any of these algae. And they mostly eat marine snow and phytoplankton, which are teeny tiny algaes. And very, very small zooplankton, which are the little marine critters that are just floating around in the ocean, usually eating the phytoplankton. But they have really teeny, 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 tiny mouths. So they're eating things that are like 500 microns across, which is super small.
0: You wouldn't be able to like look in the water and see it with your like human eyes. Yeah, like (laughs)
1: If you got a scoop of water with that in it and you were like, is that tiny speck of dust a thing? Maybe like that's all you'd be able to see is maybe the very tip of a pin sized something just kind of floating through the water.
0: Since we're talking about what the carnation coral eats, I would like to (laughs) I would like to start off with what's a coral, because I think a lot of people maybe understand that a coral is an animal, but what does that mean? You know, like, where is it? Does it have a brain? Does it have bones? Like what's going on? What does a coral look like? Because I think if you were to say we were playing a game of Pictionary, and (laughs) I was supposed to draw a picture of a coral, I would have no idea where to start, you know? So what is a coral?
1: So they're definitely an animal. They're related to anemones and jellyfish. A lot of them start life in a similar way, where they actually look like a teeny tiny little jelly, like pulsing through the water. Some of them start as like little balls. Are they squishy? Yeah, squishy little things.
0: Oh, a little squishy.
1: And some of them are little balls with like cilia, so like little moving fuzzy bits around them. And the coral larvae have to find a place to settle. And once they find a spot they like, they glue themselves down. And that's where they start, if they're a hard coral, they start growing that skeleton. So it's actually their secrete calcium onto the rock or whatever they've decided to settle down on. And that calcium makes the base for the very first little polyp, which is just a mouth in the middle that has a little digestive system inside and then a ring of tentacles all around it. So that's kind of like one individual coral polyp is one individual little animal. And from there, that one will clone itself and grow out. And then you have two little polyps which start your colony. Most corals have multiple polyps. So they're actually like almost a colony of individual animals that all work together to make one giant super animal.
0: It's like a Gundam, perhaps. Yes. They (laughs) all come together to form one cohesive. Is it considered like one organism at that point? Yeah, it's one organism. But it's like a collective organism.
1: Exactly. Like it's it's one animal made of many repeating parts basically
0: okay i suppose not too far off from like how other animals are made up of like a collection of cells
1: yeah exactly
0: but like each cell is its own contained thing
1: exactly and like some of these other animals, like you can cut a coral in half. And as long as there's full polyps on either side, each of those will turn into its own separate individual colony.
0: You can't like decapitate them, right? Because then they're like, okay, that's fine. We'll just make more. <laughs> yeah, Basically,
1: there are some corals that only make one polyp. So like there's, they're called uh, mushroom plate corals. And they're you know, the size of like a tea saucer, usually. And it's just a big plate with ridges and lace nice little pretty tentacles all around in just one mouth. But you can actually cut those right in half and make two. Oh wow. As long as you get them right down the middle.
0: Oh. It takes some precision, huh?
1: Yeah, they don't they don't like being split. Like some of the other <laughs> corals, that's literally part of the reproductive strategy.
0: Oh, is being cut in half? <laughs> just like
1: like some of the branching ones with lots of fingers. You can imagine if the storm comes through, knocks a bunch of those branches off, if one of them wedges in the right place, it's a whole new colony free reproduction.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Is there like a limit to how big the colony can get? Or does it just keep growing and growing and growing?
1: It depends from species to species. Some of them have kind of a max size. But some of the giant boulder corals, they're, you know, a couple thousand years old and weigh a few tons. Oh, wow. So some of them get absolutely massive. How old did you say it was? Thousands of years.
0: Does that mean that those individual polyps have been alive for that long? Or is it sort of like a ship of Theseus sort of like some of them die and then new ones grow, you know, like and now it's like none of the original polyps, but it's the same colony?
1: Yeah, second option. So that's very ship of theseus CSE. because you can they kind of grow, especially the boulder corals grow up in layers. So as they're coming up, you lose polyps and new polyps grow over that area. So as you're kind of getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, you're losing the old polyps, gaining
0: new polyps. Oh, but they're growing on the dead ones? Well, it's really interesting. If you
1: look in, I was just thinking, actually, there might be some of those could still have the same polyps. Because if you look, like if you slice one of those open, you can actually see like the tunnel down where the polyp was. Oh. <gasps> That's so cool. So I actually changed my answer. I'm not sure. (laughs) Oh, I'm going to have to look that up. That's really cool.
0: (laughs) That's so interesting. Wow. Corals are up to a whole lot down there. They're so
1: weird. They're absolutely the closest things we've got to aliens on this planet. They don't do anything that we expect. (laughs)
0: And so we've talked about some of these animals that are one animal that's made up of a ton of tiny animals. Like we've talked about sponges kind of make me yeah. think of this. And especially when you said that like you can cut them in half and they regenerate, right? That reminds me a lot of sponges too. Are they related to sponges at all?
1: They look a lot like sponges. Like a lot of, they make a lot of the same structures and they can provide a lot of the same ecological roles, which is really cool cuz they're not related at all.
0: Just their own thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they just, they enjoy similar environments. Because of that, you kind of get similar growth forms because they're facing similar pressures.
0: So for these carnation corals that we're talking about, first of all, what is a carnation coral? Is this like a species of coral or like a bunch of different types of coral?
1: So carnation corals are corals in the genus Dendronephthia which is the worst word in the world to spell. Dendronephthia? It's got a P-H-T-H in it.
0: I was going to say, that sounds like there's a lot of H's in there.
1: <laughs> yeah, One of my study species is uh, Dendronephthia australis, which is the cauliflower soft coral.
0: Cauliflower? They
1: look like a giant Barbie pink cauliflower.
0: Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> it sounds fluffy, like cotton candy. They're super fluffy. They're really cool. You mentioned that it's a soft coral. What does that mean?
1: Corals come in two main types. And I'm just saying main because there's definitely subcategories and other categories. These are just the big ones. So hard corals are what we generally think of when we think of like a coral reef. They're the ones that actually build up the reef structure. And they make a calcium carbonate skeleton underneath themselves that they kind of grow on as a scaffolding. But soft corals don't make a solid skeleton like that. They actually have a tissue layer that's mostly collagen and that's what holds them together. So, uh, I don't know if people make collagen supplements out of them yet, but I'm sure they will at some point. <laughs>
0: Oh, so does this make them more squishy than the hard corals? So they're
1: really quite squishy. And soft corals can range in texture basically from like a stiff booger. And they're very mucusy, <laughs> so they're very slimy. <laughs> um, but like there's corals called pom-pom corals, and they're super soft. Like if you like squish them between your fingers, they're quite resilient. Like you won't hurt them if you squish them gently, but it totally flattens out. Oh, man. <laughs> and then like carnation corals have a texture more like like a tense muscle. They're pretty stiff and they can hold their shape really nicely. And then there's some corals that actually are just as stiff as a a hard coral. And the difference in stiffness isn't actually so much based on the squishy parts of their body. It's that they also make calcium carbonate, but they make little crystals.
0: Oh. So
1: the size and the number of those crystals and whether they're touching and whether they're not touching, that will depend how hard they are.
0: Oh, I see. It's like an interior structural thing rather than an exterior thing. Exactly. Wow. You know what that kind of made me think of? If you've ever seen like jello casseroles where like bits of food are suspended in jello. Oh
1: my God, they are jello casseroles. <laughs> They're just really stinky <laughs> jello casseroles.
0: It's a seafood jello casserole.
1: <laughs> and they do smell really bad. <laughs> they do. Corals in general are pretty stinky animals. <laughs>
0: Okay, so the carnation coral, I looked up a quick little picture on Google of them, and they looked like they had kind of like fluffy bits on them.
1: Yeah, so the fluffy parts are actually the polyps. So that's what they use to eat. So yeah, the polyps like the mouth with the tentacles around. Actually, it reminded me one of the other differences between hard and soft corals is actually that hard corals have six tentacles. So they tend to have these little cute rosettes around. But soft Mm -hmm. corals are also called octocorals.
0: Octocorals have eight. okay. If you were to look at a colony of whether it's carnation corals or any other type of coral, like how close would you have to get to the coral colony to be able to see the individual polyps? Like are the individual polyps like teeny tiny microscopic or are they like you could hold one in your hand?
1: So um, it would depend on species to species. But carnation corals are actually, they've got pretty big polyps. Um, some of them maybe even as big as like a pinky nail. Oh, wow. That's pretty big. Yeah. The ones I study, the polyp, um, when it's open, is probably three or four millimeters across. And then they can also close them so they can make like a little fist. And that's maybe two millimeters across. So like they're decent size. They're not super tiny. But some, especially some hard corals have polyps that are like a pinprick. They're tiny, tiny.
0: Yeah, I wasn't really sure, you know, because like I said, like, I I don't even have an image in my head when I think of like an individual coral polyp, right? Because all I can think about is one of those big corals, like the brain coral, or like something that looks like a big, cool structure in the water. But it's hard for me to think of like what the individual coral polyp looks like. The way that you described them made me kind of think of sea anemones. Do they look kind of like sea anemones?
1: Exactly. It's just like a tiny, a teeny tiny sea anemone that's like right next to another little teeny tiny sea anemone. And they're all hanging out together. You just
0: hit copy, paste, and then just held down the paste button. (laughs) Just paste in a circle all
1: around. (laughs) (laughs) Are they related? Yeah, they are. They're pretty close cousins. And the cool thing is anemones and also some jellies are photosynthetic as well. So it seems to be kind of one of those ancestral things. So, the common ancestor of those guys probably all could use algae to get their energy.
0: Wow, that seems like it's really dancing on that line between animal and plant.
1: <laughs> they're definitely a little bit of both. I like kind of like to think of them as farmers, honestly, oh. cuz they they're actively tending their community of algae. Like they have specific species that like each species of coral or anemone or jelly that uses zooxanthellae has a specific set of species that they like to use. It's not random. It's not just whatever is in the water.
0: They're like, this is my algae that I specialize in. <laughs>
1: exactly. So they usually have like one that's dominant. And they're like, okay, so this one's my favorite. And then I have another one that's my second favorite. And I'll keep like 10% of that. <laughs> and then I have a few smattered in here that I'm okay with. <laughs>
0: Oh, wow. That's a lot more going on. When you really look at them, there's there's more going on to them than you might expect if you didn't otherwise know.
1: Studying them gets very intense because you're like, you think you've got something worked out and then you figure out it's all way more complicated than you thought.
0: <laughs> okay. So if this is your first time listening to this podcast, what we do is we review our animals by rating them out of 10 in three categories, the first of which is effectiveness. So this is physical adaptations to an animal's body that let it do a good job of the things it's trying to do. So these could be ways that it defends itself from predators or the way that it either catches its prey or otherwise apprehends its food. Uh, what would you give carnation corals out of 10 for effectiveness?
1: Well, seeing as how what they're trying to do is find a perfect place to hang out where they can get lots of food, eat that food, and not get eaten, I'm actually going to give them a 10 out of 10. Brilliant. They do that all very well.
0: That is interesting because, you know, from like the perspective of a human that doesn't know that much about them, it seems to me like they are literally just sitting there, right? Just sitting on, you know, their little spot that they've got for themselves, not otherwise doing anything. So give me like a tour of the carnation coral's body and like, what is it doing?
1: So it's got an attachment onto either a rock or like into some sand, depending on where that particular one lives. And it has these things called root-like processes. They look like tree roots and they use those to paste themselves on or in sand hold themselves in just like a plant would Mm,
0: this is a plant in disguise basically
1: (laughs) it's just a flower with no leaves so they've got i mean this really ingenious way to hold on and they live in incredibly high flow environments because if you think if you're stuck somewhere and you want food to come to you you need a lot of water passing over you So they're really good at making sure they don't get blown away in currents that you would not want to be swimming or diving in because you would get blown away. And then they take really good advantage of areas that other corals don't like, especially in the tropics. So you can imagine like in a tropical environment, most of the corals want to be up. They want to be shallow. They want to be where there's lots of light. But carnation corals aren't worried about the light since they can't photosynthesize. So they actually live underneath overhangs of rocks they live in the deep ocean. Here in Sydney, they like to live in really like murky water where you wouldn't get a ton of, We well, wish you wouldn't get a ton of sunlight anyway, because it's just like full of delicious food that they want to eat. And they're also really, really good at not getting eaten.
0: Oh, I am interested to hear about this.
1: <laughs> so they've kind of got a twofold defense system. One of the defense systems is that they've got those calcium carbonate crystals, but theirs are super sharp. They're like little razor blades.
0: Oh, they've got built in razor wire.
1: I, when I collect pieces, I collect branches of them. Um, the first time I did it, I just kind of put my hand on the polyps and got thoroughly poked. Oh, no. Like, I didn't break skin or anything, but I was like, oh, if I'd put that in my mouth, that would have been horrible.
0: Yeah, for sure. Don't do that.
1: Because the polyps, actually, the way they come out, it's like a fist coming off of a wrist, and they've got spikes <laughs> that come off the top of the the fist like like a knuckle duster or something. Wolverine. Like Yeah, like Wolverine. Exactly. <laughs> they've got Wolverine claws.
0: Wolverine, the superhero, the X-Man, not Wolverine, the mustelid that lives in (laughs) North (laughs) America. Oh, so they're like, you bite them and they bite you back.
1: Exactly. Like you're not going to want to, like a fish is not going to want to take a chomp out of that.
0: No, for sure.
1: But you can imagine they're just like free protein sitting there. They're not hard. They've got some sharp stuff and maybe you could get around it. But they're also absolutely full of disgusting chemicals. Oh, really? Just part of why all soft corals stink. But carnation corals are, they're not the worst, but they smell really bad.
0: See, that's the kind of insight that you're only going to get from somebody who has actually like been in the trenches working with them. (laughs) Because like I would never know that.
1: It's really weird because when you're underwater and you have to cut a piece off, you chop it and it makes this like almost latex looking goop just flies out from where you cut. And I'm so glad I can't smell that underwater because I bet that's like the really (laughs) strong stuff. (laughs) (laughs)
0: you're getting like the diluted version and it still smells gross yeah
1: it smells i would say the worst smelling ones smell a bit like low tide on a hot day mixed with toilet cleaner
0: gross
1: (laughs) so it's it's very chemical like you can definitely tell so there's very few things that eat them
0: yeah i wouldn't bother (laughs) is it a poisonous chemical like what is the point of this noxious chemicals
1: so some species of coral um, actually do have pretty intensely poisonous chemicals that can come out of them there's definitely rumors of people with fish tanks having like dropped a piece when they were splitting out of something and like their dog eats it and their dog dies i'm not sure exactly how true those are but yeah some of them are really toxic i'm not sure exactly how toxic carnation corals are specifically because i've not tried to sniff them or lick them (laughs)
0: No, I don't recommend it. (laughs) That's not, I don't think that's part of the scientific process. (laughs) It sounds like they're just like a bundle of stinky fiberglass.
1: Basically, I actually, I decided to take a point off because when they, something does eat them, like it eats them like the whole way. They can get wiped out by predators, usually snails, but I also gave them a point back because i figured part of effectiveness in this age of humans is how well you can deal with the impacts that humans are putting on the world and since they can't bleach oh because they don't have zooxanthellae and bleaching is actually losing zooxanthellae i gave them that point back so they got back to 10
0: Okay, so it's maybe something they didn't do on purpose, but it's working out well for them. (laughs) Exactly, like
1: it's an accident. But I mean, humans are definitely impacting a lot of coral species. And these ones are at least missing that particular impact.
0: Is there other ways that they are being impacted by human activity? Yeah, so the
1: cauliflower soft coral that I study in New South Wales has had some pretty serious population declines, um, mostly in Port Stevens, which is in northern New South Wales, and it's beautiful, and I recommend that everyone go diving there at some point. If you like cuttlefish and octopus, it's perfect. Who doesn't? But there was a major sand shifting event that smothered a bunch of them because there they live in the sand, so they just got totally smothered. And that one, I'm not 100% sure if it was natural or not. I think it might have been. But one of the things that happened that was not good was that there was a mooring block for boats that was installed and they installed it in the wrong place right in the middle of one of these coral patches and it wiped out basically a football field of coral.
0: Oh, no. Poor babies. Yep. So
1: for these sorts of corals, like, they're very sensitive to physical destruction. So we just have to be careful with things like that. And also, like, they get tangled in fishing line. And you can imagine they're soft. The fishing line can literally just slice
0: them. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, because they don't have that tough shell on the outside. Exactly. I guess it's like having your pointy bits on the inside (laughs) is helpful for, you know, deterring predators, but not so helpful for deterring industrial things that could hurt you. Exactly. Because they're not, you know, if you're a human and you're using tools, you're not worried about your tools getting stung by like coral crystals.
1: Exactly. It doesn't make any difference.
0: You mentioned that like when things do prey on them, they can be devastating. And that made me think of something I was reading about recently about the crown of thorns starfish. Yeah. Is this something that comes into play for this type of coral? Crown of thorns are actually interesting because they
1: can shift reefs from being hard coral dominated to being soft coral dominated because they really like hard corals. And they'll only eat soft corals as a last resort because soft corals, like I said, are disgusting.
0: (laughs) Even if you're a starfish. (laughs) Even if you're a starfish, they are
1: too stinky.
0: That seems to be an incredibly effective defense mechanism.
1: It is really, really good. One of the few things that seems to really like carnation corals are actually nudibranchs or sea slugs. So there's some that are pretty specialized to it. So the ones I studied, I studied them in New South Wales here. There was a major predation event that happened at the end of 2019. Basically, we think they were duty brinks, we're not 100% sure because we found it right at the end, so we couldn't see any of the guys, but they'd eaten all the polyps. <gasps> So the corals couldn't eat anymore. Oh, no. So you can imagine that uh, did not end well for them.
0: I feel like I've heard of a lot of nudibranchs that can eat like very hostile prey. Like prey they're definitely not supposed to be able to eat.
1: <laughs> they eat so much weird stuff. And they have specialized on so... There's ones that will like only eat one species of soft coral or only one species of jelly. And it's like, wow, you are really uh, putting all your eggs in one basket. <laughs>
0: the the absolute specificity and i thought i was a picky eater but like that's a lot
1: (laughs) and the cool thing is usually if they're on a coral you actually usually can't see them very well because they're so well blended in they just look like they're part of it as they munch away
0: they're a spy they're blending in with their prey (laughs) it's espionage You mentioned that like one of their things that they were trying to do is like finding a good place to land. Oh, yeah. Say you are a baby carnation coral. You're one of those little larvae and you're house hunting. You're trying to find a good spot to settle. What are the qualities that make a spot like a good spot? And how do you know? Because I'm trying to think like they don't. I, they don't have eyes, right? They don't have eyes or ears. How do they know like what's going on around them? So actually, I'm not
1: sure how they know exactly. The thing is, we, there's so little we know about especially soft coral larvae at all. And for carnation corals, there's over 250 species of carnation corals. And I found one experiment looking at larvae and how they move in one species. And they basically so some corals make a floating larvae that like floats out into the ocean finds a nice place to go. These guys make a really big chunky sinking larvae that swims really strongly.
0: Okay, it's like actively swimming. It's not just floating.
1: So they've covered in cilia. So they've got these little hairs, they can swim along, they can. So when they do find a place, which is what they're looking for is protected, but with lots of flow and lots of food. They prefer a little light because you can imagine if you're not using the light, then the light is just going to grow algae on top of you. So you want to be protected.
0: It might make it easier for predators to find you too. That too. Yeah, for sure.
1: So they're looking for a really nice protected area. So they have that strong swimming abilities. They can actually just like scoot around on the bottom. They can go up into an overhang. And they can glue themselves up and get themselves into like that perfect spot. And I think that ability to have just that big, chunky, hefty larva that can have like a really strong ability to move around is really impressive.
0: Yeah, that is really cool. Because when you were describing the larva, I was thinking of something maybe like a little bit more flimsy than that, you know.
1: (laughs) They're definitely like, even for a coral, they're a weird one.
0: Hey there, we're going to take a quick break to hear from a couple of the other shows on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we're going to talk ingenuity and aesthetics for carnation corals, so stick around. Hi, I'm Annabelle Gurritch. And I'm Laura House. And we're the hosts of Tiny Victories. My tiny victory is that I sewed that button back on. The day after it broke. We talk about that little thing that you did that's a big deal to you, but nobody else cares. Did you get that Guggenheim Genius Award? We don't wanna hear from you. We want little bitty tiny victories. My tiny victory is a tattoo that i added on to this past weekend. Let's talk about
1: it. My victory is that I'm one year cancer free,
0: but my tiny victory is that I took all of the cushions off the couch, pounded them out, put them back, And it looks so great.
1: So if you're like us and you want to celebrate the tiny achievements of ordinary people, listen to
0: Tiny Victories. It's on every Monday on Maximum Fun. Are you feeling elevated levels of anxiety? Do you quake uncontrollably, even thinking about watching cable news? Do you have disturbing nightmares, only to realize it's 2 in the afternoon and you're up? If you've experienced one or more of these symptoms, you may have FNO, news overload. Fortunately, there's treatment. Hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters helps fight FNO. That's because Troubled Waters stimulates your joy zone. On Troubled Waters, two comedians will battle one another for pop culture supremacy. So join me, Dave Holmes, for two two, two doses of Troubled Waters a month, the cure for your News Overload. Available on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. The next category that we rate our animals on is ingenuity, which are behaviors. This is just like things the animal is doing to solve the problems it's facing. What would you give carnation corals out of 10 for ingenuity?
1: So this is definitely not their strong point. (laughs) Giving them a four out of 10. That
0: is generous.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm being very nice. Do they have a brain? They do not. As far as I know, they don't even have any nerves. I've looked inside them. There's nothing like that in there.
0: So nerves being like anything that's like sending signals to any sort of like nervous system, right? That's like detecting like, oh, we have to respond to this input over here.
1: Exactly. But even with that said, like, they do have behaviors. One of the things they do that I think is really neat, but I'm not going to give them extra points for it because it is something that every soft coral does is they can inflate and deflate their bodies with water. So like if you think about like the corals are shaped kind of like a tree. So if you cut the trunk of the tree and you looked inside like a tree, you'd see rings inside a soft coral. You'd see a honeycomb. Oh. And that honeycomb is full of empty spaces where they can move water throughout their whole body. OK. And so they can release that water and shrink down or they can suck in water and they can actually expand up to 10 times their original size. Wow. So they can get really big or just shrink down into the tiniest little ball.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Why would they want to do that? What, what advantage does that offer? <laughs> One, it helps you get away from
1: stuff. So if that's if you can't move, right, but if something touches you, you can pull away from it. Oh, I see. I see. But they're not you know, they don't have a muscle. They can't literally move their arm away. They can just release the water and shrink it back. But it also if you can imagine it condenses all those little calcium spikes. So instead of those calcium spikes being, you know, few and far between when it's inflated, you deflate and they're all right next to each other. And you've got a much stronger little defense shield.
0: I see. Okay, this is kind of like a defensive posture then.
1: Yeah, it's partially defensive posture, but it's also just part of their daily cycle. So the cauliflower soft coral lives in really strong tidal environments. So as the tide comes in, Like, in the middle of the tide, there's tons of water moving over them. As the tide goes out, there's tons of water moving over them. But right at high tide, or right at low tide, the water's still. And as you can imagine, it probably takes some energy to keep themselves inflated, because they have to actively be pumping water in. So when the tide is, you know, at the top or bottom, and the water's still, they just let themselves deflate and save that energy.
0: What is the benefit to being inflated, then?
1: Because that's actually how they extend their polyps. Oh, okay. Okay. So, it's like the full, this vascular system goes right from the base all the way to the tips of the polyps. So, that's how you get your polyps like nice and
0: big and happy to catch stuff. Oh, sure. It's like holding out like catcher's mitts. Exactly. This is like increasing the surface area, right? Like more chances for things to get caught in there.
1: Exactly. And they need to eat a lot. So, it's very important that they get a
0: lot of food in there. You mentioned that they're eating like little bits of like marine snow, which we talked about in our vampire squid episode. It's like, ocean poop yep. <laughs> it's like poop and dead stuff you know uh, or like little little plankton and things that's floating by so are they like like a spider how they would catch it and then eat it or are they just like directly eating it right out of the water
1: so they do catch it but they're not so spidery is it's not like they're actively having to go and hunt it once they catch it it's just like if you had a mouth in the middle of your hand and you know got a french fry stuck to your finger you could just close your hand and stick it in your mouth so they just kind of travel it down
0: into the mouth okay cool i feel like i may have seen a video of i don't know if it was coral or if it was an anemone but i feel like i've seen a video of something doing that where it kind of like folded its little tentacles like in towards the mouth
1: yeah exactly so they can really pull all that in and there's honestly you can go down a youtube rabbit hole of watching corals (laughs) eat because people have really cool videos of that
0: Okay, so as the colony of coral is growing, is there any sort of conditions that their growth is responding to? So, like, I'm thinking of how, like, plants might grow towards a light source, or plants might grow towards something that is beneficial to them. Uh, Do corals do this in any way where they're like, oh, this thing I need is in that direction. So the colony grows in a certain direction. Or is it just kind of like a free for all?
1: Carnation corals seem to basically just grow up or if they're on an overhang down. Oh, so they don't have as much of that response. But photosynthetic corals. So like some of the most famous corals, like staghorn corals, and they'll definitely grow towards the light. Like in a fish tank, you have to be really careful where you put stuff or you'll end up with really lopsided reefs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So they can't, they're kind of on a mission, huh? They're exactly. like, oh yeah, we got to grow in that direction. And that's kind of the best you can do because you can't just get up and walk.
1: <laughs> and then there are, I mean, a lot of corals do eat as well. So there's in hard corals, you have small polyp corals which are like the little pinprick guys, but there's also large polyp corals and some of them can have a polyp, like the biggest ones will be like a football, like just a single polyp. And some of those large polyp ones, when they're either eating or even defending themselves, they can actually eject all of their stomach matter. They have digestive filaments more than they have like a real stomach. So it's like this, like it looks like white silly string comes out. Uh, And they put it onto like another coral or onto a dead fish or onto something and just eat it from the outside. Oh, wow. (laughs)
0: Huh. Wow. That seems rude.
1: (laughs) And it's also a huge pain in a fish tank because I've had corals eat each other after living next to each other for years, and you're just like, but why did you decide to eat him now?
0: You said that they clone themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm taking it that reproduction is not something that they necessarily have to like go out and find a mate. You don't have to go court somebody and, you know, you, it's not necessarily a, a motivator for them, you know, like having to go out and find a, another coral to mate with.
1: It, that depends from species to species. So in the tropics, you tend to have these mass spawning events that usually happen a few days after the full moon where every coral of the same species will all release eggs and sperm at the same time. I mean, those are major events. And if you're on Twitter with all the scientists and like follow the coral scientists, all the people who are out there like during the spawning and like see videos of them out at like two in the morning to you know, <laughs> scoop up some spawns <laughs> and study.
0: Oh, wow.
1: It does depend from species to species. Some species reproduce almost entirely clonally. So the most popular anemone for fish tanks and for anemone fish is the bubble tip anemone and they reproduce mostly by cloning but then there's like there's another anemone the scientific name is Hectoractus crispa and they're another really important anemone fish hosting anemone and they reproduce almost entirely through sexual reproduction okay so you get a little of both and carnation corals they do both if conditions are good they'll actually it looks it looks really gross it looks like they're melting oh no but it's it's on purpose they'll literally drop like a few bundles of polyps and they stretch it down to the ground because if they're in a really good spot, they're somewhere that they're really happy. They're like, you know what, I'm just going to make a whole new me right next to me. And it's going to live here with me. But they also reproduce sexually. They can do that in a couple different ways, which is interesting. So they can do external spawning, which is what is the famous thing on the Great Barrier Reef where, you know, you release eggs and sperm and then they come together and then the larva drops and settles down somewhere. But they can also brood internally where the male releases sperm and the female colony takes the sperm in and then fertilizes her eggs with it and keeps them in there until they're a bit bigger. And that's how you can get some like really hefty, chonky baby corals.
0: So is each individual polyp, Male or female?
1: So for carnation corals, I don't know about every species because it hasn't been looked at too much, but the three or four species that have been examined, they're generally male or female. It's like the whole colony.
0: Oh, the whole colony. The whole colony is
1: male or female. Okay. But some corals are both, so it kind of depends. Sure, yeah. Corals are so weird.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Other than reproducing with each other, do corals, whether it's at the polyp level or at the colony level do they have any other sort of interactions with each other in the sense of, like, are they competitive towards each other? Will they be like, no, this is my dark, high-flow spot. Like, go find your own. Or would it even matter to them, right? Like, would they even be able to tell that a polyp was from a different colony if they're all clones.
1: So if they're clones, I think they're usually clonal animals will not compete with other clones of themselves. I'm sure there's exceptions to this, but in general, that's the rule. But corals definitely know if there's another coral nearby, and there's some pretty strong turf wars. Really? (laughs) Definitely stronger for photosynthetic corals because they want to be in the light, and there's only so much light you can have. I mean, there's only so much space like on a rock to get that light. So they'll sting each other. And so you'll see these little like bands of dead coral if like two colonies are next to each other, both colonies will have a little band of death on the side. <gasps> what? <laughs> and then if one starts winning, then you can you can really tell because it won't have a band of death and the one next to it will just slowly
0: <gasps> back up. Oh my gosh. That's so dramatic. I think like if like 300 or like some other kind of like <laughs> movie about like medieval warfare
1: (laughs) it's actually so i don't know if this is the official scientific term but definitely in aquariums they have tentacles called war tentacles they're super long so the coral can actually just release these huge long super stingy tentacles and just sting its neighbor completely away and the same thing like with the digestive filaments that's like getting a two-for-one you're getting a meal and you're getting rid of your competition
0: oh my gosh (laughs)
1: That's brutal. (laughs) So there's actually, there's a soft coral that does a really cool behavior. And if I had been doing them, they've gotten a better score. Um, But (laughs) palm pom corals are also called pulsing corals. And they have like their polyps look like long feathery hands. And they actually do this really neat twisting closing motion. It's like a little spiral that closes and opens, and they have hundreds of polyps, and they all twist and spiral and close and open. And for a long time, people thought that they were eating, but we figured out pretty recently that what they're actually doing is moving water over the colony so that they have more access to oxygen and nutrients and everything for their zooxanthellae. Oh, wow. And they keeps the colony really clean.
0: So they're kind of being cooperative- to the other colony members
1: exactly like you know having that motion helps the whole colony stay happy and healthy and clean and well oxygenated which is honest it's one of the really hard things for a really complex animal like a branching coral is that you get areas with dead water and it can go totally lack of oxygen in there oh geez yeah you don't want that yeah and then you end up with a weird little dead spot inside but
0: ooh, that's no good (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's not great that's so interesting. Corals are like doing way more than I thought they were doing, you know, like when you just look at them, you don't think they're really doing anything, but they've got their own lifetime dramas going on. <laughs> oh,
1: they absolutely do. And it's, it's just everything's in slow motion. So like we're expecting, you know, a battle to be like two... Mammals like biting each other and duking it out but sometimes it's just a little bit of stinging tentacles coming out every night and taking another millimeter off the neighbor.
0: There should be a whole nature documentary based on like marine invertebrates like sea stars and corals and stuff like that where like all of the footage is sped up (laughs) so that we can see what's really going on and then like you could add the same like dramatic narration and like cinematic music that like other animals animals get but these poor corals don't get it because if you were gonna give them a soundtrack it would have to be like a three day long score
1: (laughs) definitely everything happens so slowly
0: (laughs) they're living on their own time so if we were to you know speed them up and get to see them living on their scale of time i guess we would see that they're much more engaged and interactive than they look from our perspective but When you're just looking at them, like a picture of them or you're just looking at them in a tank or something like that, they're nice to look at. And I want to kind of just like gush over how nice they are to look at. So our final category that we rate our animals on is aesthetics, which is self-explanatory. It is literally just how nice is this animal to look at. So what do you give carnation corals for aesthetics?
1: If I could give them more than a 10, I would give them like a 15. (laughs) They are, in my opinion, carnation corals are the most beautiful corals. And basically every group of corals is gorgeous. So they are just outrageously beautiful.
0: It looks like I'm seeing a lot of like reds and and pinks and stuff like that are they do they all kind of have that like red and pink color
1: they come in basically every color of the rainbow the most common color would be magenta probably it's like a really a very deep bright bright pink
0: okay and that's very nice
1: <laughs> but they come in blue they come in purple they come in red the ones i study range from bright orange to barbie
0: pink to magenta you love to see range <laughs> it is, it's a great range And for like an animal that doesn't really live in the sunlight, you know, like to have such like bright, dramatic colors, I think is really cool. That's not something that you think of like something living in shade and darkness. You don't think of it being so like flamboyantly colored.
1: The ones I'm more surprised about are the blues and the purples, but the reds actually make sense if you think about how light moves through water. So as the light comes into the water, you lose reds first. And so red doesn't actually show up at the depths most of these live at. So when I'm looking for my cauliflower soft corals they actually look yellow and not like a nice yellow like a creamy like just like sandy yellow
0: okay so they're blending in in the right context
1: exactly but then you
0: shine a flashlight on them and you're like oh that's pink (laughs) wow (laughs) that's interesting so like that pigment just does not show as red in the water where they live exactly but
1: even when they just kind of look like a muddy yellow they still look really cool because the shapes they have are amazing they kind of have these fractal patterns um that come around
0: yeah they do look like if you zoomed in on them they would look like um I mean, I don't want to say broccoli trees because that doesn't it's about right, though. <laughs> sound that beautiful, but that's the shape I'm getting at, you know? Yeah, they do look like little branching fractals that is just, it's really mesmerizing, I feel like, to me. I feel like I could look at them all day.
1: And it's actually really cool when you get like closer, because each one of those little branches is the right size for a different kind of animal to live inside. <gasps> really So if you're looking you're like oh that like in the big branches like oh I see a big crab and then you like look a little further and you're like oh this little branch just has a tiny shrimp in it.
0: <laughs> oh just a little treat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that kind of made me think of like looking at ornaments on a Christmas tree. Like you look in in all the branches there's little treasures. <laughs> exactly.
1: And they're definitely full of all sorts of stuff, which is really neat.
0: Yeah, like little critters that hunker down in the coral.
1: Yeah, exactly. So uh, one of my projects was looking at what was living inside the corals. So there's tons of little teeny tiny shrimps and crabs, and most of them are either pink or have pink accents so that they blend in.
0: (gasps) Very clever.
1: So it's just like a little, like like just a tray of pink crabs and shrimps.
0: Oh, it's a built-in matching accessory.
1: (laughs) But one of my favorites is there's an egg cowrie, which is a little snail, like just under an inch long. And the shell is pink. But what they do is they actually have a mantle of their foot that comes up all the way around the top of the shell. And it's purple and pink and spiky. Whoa. So it looks like part of the coral. They blend in best on the darker corals. So the darker corals have kind of like a purple or like a pink base with purple polyps. And the lighter ones are like a pink base with pink polyps or all orange. And so they really like stick out like a sore thumb on those. But when you see them <laughs> on the dark ones, they're perfectly blended.
0: Their look has been stolen. <laughs> exactly.
1: And I, I kind of thought they might eat them. Um, but so far, people have looked at um, some evidence that doesn't seem like they do. But they definitely lay eggs on them. Oh, (laughs) so that's really like we were watching them do it. It was really neat.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I suppose if you've got something that is so like well built for camouflaging itself, but also for, you know, being unappetizing to predators, right? That would probably be a pretty safe spot to lay your eggs, right? Like if you're like, okay, well, this is something that's not at a very high risk of getting eaten by very many predators. Like this might be a good spot to
1: to leave your little babies. Exactly. And if you blend in perfectly on top of it, no one's going to want to eat you either.
0: They are mooching off of the success of the coral.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: (laughs) The coral put in so much hard work to make itself so well adapted to not getting eaten, and then all these clowns come along that are just trying to piggyback off of the coral's hard work.
1: But they're just as pretty, so I'm going to forget them.
0: (laughs) As long as you fit in with the aesthetic, then uh, you you have a place in this ecosystem. (laughs) And I
1: I think it's especially interesting because nothing else in that habitat looks anything like that. So I don't even like, I don't know if they can move between them or not. Like, I have no idea how that would work because they would stick out anywhere else they went, they would stick out entirely.
0: True. That is a narrow window of time you have like to get from one to the other. Like if something catches you on route, you're done.
1: Exactly. It's really like, but they might just look like a little baby colony and things are like, oh, no, thank you. (laughs)
0: oh that's true yeah if you're like because if the colony can come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes you know then it would be maybe like the pattern is the thing that sets it apart like maybe the pattern is the identifying feature that things are like oh nope, that's a no-no
1: and the corals when they do breed like the babies are tiny the smallest one i found was like the size of like the last pinky knuckle super teeny tiny
0: Oh, I'm gonna keep an eye out for them if I ever make my way down to uh, down to those oceans. <laughs> I'm Definitely, sure see if I can spot one. They're so pretty. They're so so pretty down there. I don't know if we have the, these types of corals where I live. I live in Florida, like right off the Atlantic coast. So, I honestly, if I'm being honest with you, I do not know what kind of corals we have here. <laughs>
1: I would guess that if there's not this particular like group of corals, there will definitely be some crazy colored non-photosynthetic corals because they're literally everywhere.
0: Next time I'm out in, a, in an area where I would find corals, I will certainly keep my eyes peeled because I feel like I have a much better appreciation for them now. Now that I kind of have an idea of what they're all about, you know, they don't look like just a lump to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know now i know i get it you know i get what the coral life is all about so uh i feel like next time i see them i'll have a much deeper appreciation for them before we get wrapped up for today i would love it if you could let our friends listening know what kind of work you're involved with right now that you want people to know about if there's any projects you have going on that you want people to know about or where people can keep up with your work
1: yeah, so I'm very active on Twitter. Um, you can find me at Rosie Riots. Uh, that's R-O-S-I-E, not with a Y. Uh, I just handed in my PhD thesis. Uh, I'm waiting for corrections back. Woo-hoo! So finger. I want everyone to cross their fingers that the reviewers are nice. Thank you.
0: Everyone just send all <laughs> of your strongest positive energy.
1: Right now, I'm just kind of chilling out, looking for a postdoc somewhere. But definitely... Um, if you're a coral researcher out there, keep uh, an eye out on your Google Scholar for my name. I've got a really cool paper coming out soon. I'm very excited about that.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to have to keep an eye out. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. On handing in your thesis. That's a big uh, milestone. <laughs> it's a big milestone and it's exhausting.
1: I basically slept for two weeks. It was very needed.
0: <laughs> you deserve all of the rest. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, every, I feel like everybody listening should definitely go follow you, keep up with the coral work, learn some new stuff about corals, but also make a cool new Twitter friend because uh, you're a delightful follow. Big, strong endorse. Thank you. <laughs> I do my best. Thank you so much for your time and your knowledge. It has been an absolute delight. I've learned so much about corals. I really started with a blank slate here.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Of
0: course. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll be thinking of this episode next time you're taking in the vibrant beauty of an ocean reef. Look closely next time and see if you can spot our soft coral friends. If you liked what you heard today, it would really mean a lot to us if you could leave us a good review on your podcatcher, like Cuddle Size and Captain Oswald, who both left reviews on Apple Podcasts. That really made my day. Also, you can rate podcasts on Spotify now, which is really cool. So please uh, give us a good rating on there too. You can connect with us on social media or shoot us an email at ellen at justthezooofus.com if you have a cool animal that you'd like to hear about. Next week, Christian is coming back from our holiday break, so tune in and give him a warm welcome back. We would like to say thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on their network alongside their other wonderful shows like the ones that you heard promos for here today. You can check those out and learn more about the network at MaximumFun.org. And while you're there, it would also be great if you signed up for a membership to support us and the rest of the wonderful shows on the network. Finally, we'd like to thank Louis Zong for our amazing theme music. That is all for today. See you next week. Thanks. Bye.